Well, allow me to set the stage for us this morning by quickly reminding us of what we talked about last week. Uh, one of the things we said is that our primary calling, right, we learned our calling as a follower of Jesus is to be holy. We're called to pursue holiness, right? And, and, and there's a number of different passages of Scripture that, that speak uh, to that calling. We primarily focus on 1 Peter 1, chapter, or excuse me, verses 15 and 16. And it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, as a result of this passage, we ask the question, well, what does it mean for us to be holy, right? We understand that God is holy. That is an attribute that is a characteristic of who he is. But we're also called to be holy. We're also called to pursue holiness. And so how do we mimic the holiness of God in our lives, right? What does that even begin to look like? What does that mean? We talked about the one aspect of the def definition of holy, and it's to be set apart. Meaning that our lives as followers of Jesus, if, if we're Christians, our lives ought to look different from those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul talks about it like this. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't do things like the world does, right? We need to be holy. We need to be set apart. Our lives ought to look different. And so if we're not supposed to mimic how the world does things, well then what should we do, right? What should we do? Well, at the risk of oversimplifying things, last week we said, well, we need to live in obedience to Scripture. Because if you think about it as a whole, the Bible provides us with instructions on how to mimic the holiness of God. Do this, don't do that. And as we live in obedience, uh, our, our growth in holiness will increase, right? In part, it's our responsibility as, as we're living in obedience to Scripture, we will become more holy. God has given us an active role to play. Now, it's not fully dependent on us. We're still relying and dependent on the work of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us holy, right? But we also have an active role to play in this. So if you weren't here last Sunday, though, I, I would encourage you to go back, listen to the podcast, watch the message online so you can get the full context of what we talked about. Today, though, we're going to turn our attention to a different question, right? We're going to ask the question, why? Right? Why? Why are we called to be set apart? Why are we called to live a holy life? Why is it so important for us as Christians to live out this calling to be set apart? I'd invite you all to turn in your Bible or your Bible app to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And, and John is in the New Testament. It's one of the books that records the life and ministry of Jesus. And so if you flip open to about the halfway point in your Bible and then begin turning to the right, you'll come across the books known as the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And this morning we will find the answer to our question in the midst of a prayer that Jesus prays for us, his disciples, right, including you and me. And so I, I would ask you to follow along as I read John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. And again, this is Jesus speaking to God the Father. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is that uh, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be fully sanctified. Now, from this passage of Scripture, we as Christians, followers of Jesus, we've derived this phrase that has become fairly fairly common or popular in the church world. Perhaps you've heard it before. It's this phrase, in the world, but not of the world, right? And this phrase, in the world, but not of the world, has somewhat become a a mantra or or this, this mission, this charge for us to live out. We're in it, but not of it. We're in it, but not of it. And the phrase comes from verses 15 and 16 of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. And again, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And so what does that mean, right? What does this phrase mean, in the world, but not of the world? Well, it does, in fact, communicate a truth about Christian, right? Christians, right? Geographically speaking, we are living in this world. Planet Earth is our home. Groundbreaking content, I know, right? We live in this culture. We live in this society, in this political climate. This is the world we live in. But, As Jesus goes on to say, we are not of the world, right? We are not of the world. Now, it's important for us to understand that biblical authors and and Jesus in this instance would sometimes use the word world, not to refer to our geographical location, but our spiritual position. And in this case, world would, be, would carry a negative connotation, right? It would be synonymous with, with darkness and evil and unbelief. And therefore, it would make sense for Jesus to declare of his followers that they are not of this world. Those who have a relationship with Jesus have been set apart because of their relationship with him. God sees the followers of Jesus as holy because God sees us through Jesus. And so we have been set apart by nature of our relationship with him. We have been positionally set apart. Apart, And so, of course, we're not of this world. But also, right, not only that, we learned last week, we have this ongoing responsibility to live in obedience to God's word, to live differently from those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, we might live among darkness. We might live among evil. We might live among unbelief. But that's not what defines us as Christians. We are not of this world world. And so, when taken at face value, this phrase, in the world but not of the world, it it makes it seem, it's kind of like our, our job or our mission as Christians is to separate ourselves from the world, right? Because we're in it, but but of it. It's kind of like we're saying like, all right, yeah, bummer. I have to be here. This is the world I live in. This is the society I live in. This is the culture. This is my context, and I got to be here for now. But do all you can to not be like the world, 
right? Yeah, this is where we're at, but do everything you can to, to create a gap between us and them. Separate yourself from the world. Now, of course, this, this message of, of living a set-apart holy life is an important one, and it, and it needs to be emphasized from time to time. And, and that's exactly what we did last Sunday. We talked about how our lives ought to look different from those who are in the world, right? Paul said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You and I, we need to live differently. That should be a mark of our lives. However, when the primary message that we take from this phrase, in the world but not of the world, when the primary thing that we get from that phrase is to create space and separation from the world, We've missed the point, right? We've missed the point. And again, I understand we are called to live set-apart lives. But we make a big mistake when we equate set-apart with separate, right? We make a big mistake when we begin to see set-apart as the same thing as separate. That is a misunderstanding. And in order for us to get Jesus' perspective on this phrase that we've created, being in the world but not of the world, we have to examine some of the other statements that Jesus made in his prayer in John 17. And as we do that, we will also find the answer to our question, why? Why are we set apart? In verse 15, Jesus makes a fascinating statement. At least, I think so. He says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You see, if, if the reason why God calls us to be set apart is to be separate from the world, then why doesn't Jesus ask God to take us out of the world? Right? If, if we're called to be separate or set apart in order to be separate, this would be the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, God, I have these batch of followers here with me right now. They are devoted to me. They love me. They have this relationship with me. Let's get them out of here. They're ready to go. It's time for them to be set apart and separate, right? Let's remove them to protect them. But that's not what he says, right? That's not what he says, and not only does he not say that, does he not ask God to take us out of the world, right? Right. I mean, but he, I mean, or if he did, that would be a bit of a head scratcher. But then we have to look at another statement Jesus makes in verse 17. He says, right, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, not, not to get too in-depth or too, uh, to nerd out on you too much, but the New Testament was originally written in Greek, right? That was the language the New Testament was written in. And so the Greek word for sanctify is hagiazo, which means set apart for sacred use or make holy. And how are we to be set apart and made holy? Well, verse 17 goes on to say, by the truth. Your word is truth. 
meaning we are set apart and made holy by living in obedience to God's word, the Bible, which is exactly what we talked about last week. And then this brings us to verse 18, which is where we find our answer to the question of why. Why are we set apart? And Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As God sent Jesus, so he is sending us. You see, the answer to our question of why is that we are set apart in order to be sent. We are set apart in order to be sent. Now, perhaps you're wondering, well, sent where and for what purpose, right? I mean, because this involves Jesus and it involves us. Both of us were sent. Well, in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, uh, it tells us exactly why Jesus was sent. John 3, 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Luke 19.10 goes on and reiterates this same message. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And like Jesus, we, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we are being sent into the world for the very same reason. For the very same reason, to offer rescue and hope and forgiveness and salvation through Jesus. And we see evidence of this all throughout the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16, this portion of Scripture comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most well-known message or sermon that Jesus gives. Verse 13 through 16, it says this, You are the salt of the earth. He's talking about us, his followers. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, while we are in the world, this is our culture, this is our society, this is where we live. While we are in the world, we are to be salt and light. And one commentator writes, the salt and light figures make it clear that Jesus intended for his people to influence the world. And when we do that, we will point people to Jesus. Because even he goes on to say in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5, let your light shine before men. Why? That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. However, if all we do is strive to be separate from the world, it's going to be awfully hard to make an impact, right? If all we do is try to put in and insert this gap between us and them, 
There's no way that we're going to be able to effectively influence, right? We can't expect to influence the world if we're so consumed, spending all of our time avoiding them, pursuing our Christian bubble, only having friends that that believe what we believe, only having friends that go to the same church or go to some other church in Elk Grove. When we're constantly running in the same circles, pursuing our little Christian bubble, right? And we never emerge from that place. And if we never emerge from that place, then we will never have the impact, we will never have the influence that we were meant to have. And nowhere in Scripture is our calling to go into the world to point people to Jesus. And it's no more clearly presented than in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, we are set apart, not to be separate from the world, but to be on mission. We are sent into the world. David Mathis, he works for this organization uh, called Desiring God. He understands this concept, which is why when it comes to the phrase in the world but not of the world, he writes this. Maybe it would serve us better to revise the popular phrase in the world but not of the world in this way. Not of, but sent into. The beginning place is being not of this world. And the movement is toward being sent into the world. The accent falls on being sent with a mission to the world. Not being mainly on a mission to disassociate from this world. And we see a very similar message taught in other passages of Scripture. If we go back to 1 Peter where we spent the bulk of our time last week and we turn over to chapter 2 in verses 9 through 12, Peter who's writing primarily to Jewish believers, he says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as alien and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. If we begin to dissect that passage a little bit, verses 9 and 10 focus on the fact that the recipients of Peter's letter are to be set apart. Right? He calls them a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. It doesn't get much more clear than that, right? These people, these followers of Jesus are set apart. And then in verse 11, Peter reminds them that they're not of this world. He refers to them as aliens and strangers in the world. And because of this identity, he also reminds them that their lives ought to look different. They should abstain from sinful desires. And if we're being honest with ourselves, I think it would be a lot better for us or we would have this desire if Peter just said, period, done, next topic. 
Because it would be a lot easier for us if he just moved on to something else. Hey, you're in the world. Don't be of it. Live differently. You know, just pursue me. Pursue your own personal holiness. Make sure your family's following God. Do that. You know, go to church three times every Sunday. You know, be at all three services. I'm going to serve on multiple teams. Just, just focus on your personal holiness. Read the Bible as much as you can. Pray as much as you can interact, you know, fellowship with one another, a good church word, right? Just like mingle with one another. Like just, guys, focus on that. But that's not where the passage ends. He goes on to remind them of the reason they are set apart. And it's to be on mission. Verse 12 says, live such good lives among the pagans, and if you, another translation refers to pagans as unbelieving neighbors, right? Those who don't believe in God live such good lives among the pagans. Where are we supposed to live? I'm going to make somebody say it. Where? Among. Among the pagans, right? We're, we're supposed to live uh, among them, not far away from your unbelieving neighbors, right? Not a safe distance from those who don't share your love for Jesus. Not, not as, as far as you can get from people who don't think and believe like you do. Among, with, next to, surrounded by, in the same context, in close proximity to, among, why? Why? Well, so that they, the, those who don't yet believe are able to see that you are different. And as a result, not to glorify you, but to be drawn to serve and worship God for themselves. Allow me to illustrate what we're talking about this morning. It'd be cool if a bunny was under here. <laughs> Next time. You have two jars, right? You have this blue water for our purposes. That is going to represent us, followers of Jesus, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation, who say, I am going to live for him. It's my desire to live and be on mission because that is what God has called me to do. And then for our purposes, the oil is going to represent the world. Those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, right? The world, meaning unbelief, darkness, evil. You see, and, and when we're living on mission, when we understand that God has called us to be set apart and then to be sent into the world, it looks a whole lot like this. We're being sent into the world. We're mixing it up with those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. We're living among people who don't believe the same things we do, right? We're being sent into. We're having a relationship with. We're rubbing shoulders with people who don't yet know Jesus. And it looks a lot like this. But see, here's what we understand as well about oil and water. 
is that even when you mix them up, they're distinct. You can still tell them apart. And so, yes, our calling is to be sent or we're set apart to be sent into the world. We're to mix it up so they can see that we're different. Not so that we can live like them because just like water and oil will never be one, we also ought to be different from those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. But we are to be with them, mixed together, mingling we shouldn't be running for the hills, right? Trying to be as separate as we can be, right? We shouldn't be trying to put up every single barrier for our kids. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't just throw them to the wolves, but I'm not saying that we should just shelter our kids as much as possible from the big bad world. Because you know what? When they become adults, even younger, really middle school, high school, elementary school, they got to deal with it. And if we live our entire lives trying to be separate, we're not ever going to fulfill the mission that God has given us, set apart but sent into the world. And here's what I know, because it's true for me, and I'd imagine it's true for a lot of us. We have a tendency to creep towards separation because it's comfortable, it's easy, and look how fast we go back to it. See, if we're not constantly mixing it up, if we're not constantly living on mission, we will live here. We will live a life in which we don't know anybody who's not a Christian. We will live a life in which we're always in this bubble, in which we're protecting the ones that we love and, and everyone we care about and saying, no, 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 don't go out there, right? No, no, don't go, it's, it's dangerous out there. But guys, that's exactly why God came. And he says, I'll be with you. You don't got to do it on your own. But this is our natural tendency. And it's a quick creep, right? And if we aren't constantly being intentional about living on mission, we will be separate. One commentator writes, as the church separates itself from the world, it begins to lose its ability to connect with those who are unbelievers living in the world. And, and of course, our, our calling to be set apart and, and holy and different, that will always remain. But if we lose touch with those we're trying to reach because we're solely focused on our personal holiness, that's a problem. That's a problem. And as Christians, it's a tension we must manage. It's a tension we have to learn to manage. And we need to ask ourselves, am I living on mission? Am I living as if I've been sent into the world, or am I only focused on being separate? I don't want anything to do with those people. They might affect my holiness. I might get messy. I might get dirty. I don't want none of that. I like being clean for Jesus. <laughs> See, perhaps the answer to this question of am I living on mission is best seen or is most evident in our prayers, the subject matter of our prayers. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chris challenged us. He began this initiative, One for 30, to find someone in our lives, one person, maybe a handful, 
who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus and pray for them every single day for 30 days. Big, bold prayers that you and I would have the opportunity to interact with them and and tell them about the good news of Jesus and maybe, just maybe, that they might enter into a relationship with Jesus. And hopefully this is a reminder and it's just something like, yeah, okay, that's fantastic and I've been doing that. But for some of you, you might be like, ah, I don't even know who to pray for. It's probably because you're living separate. And you see, when we begin to see this question of am I living on mission lived out in our prayers because it it, it drives that, right? And and we got to be wondering, am I praying mission-minded prayers? And of course, being on mission will have an impact not only on our prayers, but every area of our lives. Right, The decisions we make, the social circles we maintain, the lens through which we see the world. It's not just those people to avoid anymore. It's, wow, these are the individuals that God came to save. And what can I do about it? What does my role look like? And when you and I do our job and live on mission, we're setting the pace for those around us. At the beginning of the message, Aaron came up to tell us about pacers. And again, our role as Christians is similar to that of a pacer. How? Because when we're living on mission, we're the ones setting the pace. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's a pace setter. Like Paul, we are to live on mission. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus because Jesus is ultimately our pace setter. And when we are, have our eyes fixed on him and are pursuing his example set for us, then we will also become pace setters for others. We can say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And in essence, we're modeling what life ought to look like in every area. Not just faith, not just what it means to be a Christian, but every single area, what family looks like, what owning a business looks like, how to manage our finances, what service looks like, what generosity looks like, what it means to be a parent, what does it look like to be a teammate, how does life look when I am a Christian student? You see, as Christians, we ought to be setting the pace in these areas. We've been called to be influencers. We've been called to be difference makers, salt and light, meant to influence the world. But the only way that we can be effective pace setters is if we're actually in the race, right? If people can actually see us, if we're actually setting the pace and running the race with them. We can't just be like, hey, all the Christians, let's go, right? Mile 26, here we come. No, no, we have to run with them, be with them. Why? Because ultimately our sign, our pace-setting sign, it says Jesus. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And when we start to live set apart for God, others will be drawn to him. This is what it means to be and live on mission, to set the pace. And perhaps some of you are thinking, well, well, you know what, that's all well and good, but I'm going to let somebody else do that. That sounds nice and everything, but that's not me. Someone else can live on mission. And see, those thoughts cross our mind because we have a tendency to be separate. Because it's easy for us. It's naturally what we want to do. But we have to ask ourselves the question, if not us, 
then who? If not us, then who? If you're not going to be sent into the world to reach your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, who are you expecting to do it? Right? Not to be mean, but I'm not going to come over to your house and try to reach your neighbors for you. God puts you there to do that. I got my own batch of neighbors. I'm working my own block. Right? <laughs> Someone's got to do it. And if it's not us, then who? Andy Minio is one of my favorite Christian rappers. He wrote a song called Wild Things. And the song captures what we've been talking about this morning. It's all about going to those who are far from God. And not only going to them, but living among those who need Jesus the most. One line of the song goes like this. I'm not going to rap it. That would be cool, but I'm just going to read it. (laughs) He says... If we ain't living it, right? If we ain't living it, who else going to show them what a family looks like instead of these broken homes? If we're not going to live that out and we're not going to be the ones to show them, well, then who is? Who's going to show them something else besides a broken home? And yes, this is just one example. This is just one thing that he pulled out from his song. But whether it's family or finances or marriage or friendship or business or racial reconciliation or love or forgiveness or compassion or mercy or service or generosity, you name it, who's going to show them? Who's going to set the pace? Because if we ain't living it out, who's going to? It's time for us to mix it up. Enough of trying to live separate. Enough of trying to protect ourselves or even our kids. And I realize tension to manage. Everybody's got to figure out what that looks like. But the reason our kids are in public school is so that we can mix it up. Will they be exposed to some crazy stuff? Yep. You better believe it. But I'm not going to run from it. You have to embrace that. And I realize that's not a decision for everybody. Every family is going to be different. But that's just an example for our lives. We made that conscious decision. We got to get our kids in public school because that's how we're going to meet more people who need Jesus. And we have to mix it up, guys, because it's, it's time for us to live on mission. It's time for us to set the pace because it's why God called us to be holy. Holy. 